And let's pray. Father, we pray that you would convince us that there is no one like Jesus. We confess that even though we sing that we have nothing other than Christ, that we need nothing other than him, we often try to find things other than Jesus. Show us where our vision of the good life is not the vision that you put forward in the scriptures. Show us how we try to attain the good life apart from Christ. Work in us repentance where we need it. Work in us reassurance where we are doubtful. And ultimately, we pray that we would come to love and know Jesus better because of our time in your word this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. You can turn to Ephesians. And I, last week I said that this sermon is going to be a little bit abnormal, and I'm going to keep that promise. We're going to do something a little bit different than normal. I am going to make a few comments about this letter, and then I'm going to read the letter all the way through, and that will be the sermon this morning. Um, you might ask, is this biblical? And um, if you're asking that, I can assure you that uh, the Ephesian church, that's how they had Ephesians preached to them the first time. And I think there's benefit in hearing the whole letter all in one sitting. Um, I listened on the ESV app this morning to Kristen Getty read through this. It was unbearably slow at, at one speed, and it took about 23 minutes. Um, so on 1.5 speed or 2 speed, it's great. I'll read a little bit faster than she did, but we'll, we'll listen to this book for about 20 minutes, and we'll get the full vision of Ephesians in, in that time. Um, I, I want to take this opportunity then to encourage you to read other books of the Bible on your own all in one sitting. This takes time. You know some, it's really short. Jude, you can, you can read that in just a couple minutes. Others are longer, like Genesis. Um, but if you read these through all at once, you see not only the literary beauty, but you catch on to a bigger message. And you can do this, obviously, while you listen to things. Um, one thing that I might recommend is to just sometimes sit down and flip through every page of your Bible and look at the headings as you go and try to get the big picture of the Bible in your head as you just see the content of the Bible. Even though you don't, you know, might not understand all of these things, we need the content in our minds so that we can read things contextually. So I hope that reading the letter of Ephesians will help us in that way. But after spending, you know, 20 sermons working through the book, it seems like this will be a good way for us to reflect on this letter one final time. I wanted, though, to try to frame the letter and help you think about a few things as you hear it. And I, I want us to think about the fact that often we have a vision of the good life that we're pursuing, and we construct that vision of, our, of the life that we want to have, absent from the Bible's teaching on the good life, you know, based purely on the American dream, perhaps, or something else, and then we do whatever it takes to get there. And often we rely on ourselves. We look inward and think, I'm the solution to my problems, and I, I can, you know, solve everything that I need to. I'm the answer. I want to give you an, an two examples of where that's bad thinking. The first one, I hate to do this. I, I read an article about gun control. I am not making any comments about gun control. I'm trying to draw your attention to this guy's argument about gun control. Okay, he, he doesn't want to see handguns anywhere. And he realizes that that's part of people's vision of the good life, is having a handgun that protects them. And um, he says this, America has a gun problem because so many Americans are deceived by so many illusions about uh, what a gun will do for them, their family, and the world. 
They imagine a gun as the guardian of their home and loved ones rather than the standing invitation to harm, loss, and grief. It is so much more, it so much more often proves to be. So what he's saying is people are putting their hopes in guns. They're afraid of something, so they put their hope in a gun, and, and really they need to see that guns should be a greater cause for fear and not a cause for hope. Whatever you think about that, that's a really good argument. That's, pers- that's the only way someone could be persuaded is to say the thing that I'm putting my hope in will actually bring me disaster. Now, whether that's true or not, I mean, that's up to you to, to think about. You know, you have to evaluate the, the grounds of his claims and, and the warrants and all of those things to see if what he's saying is true. But I think that that's a convincing argument uh, for the way that we look at just about anything. We put our hope in something and we might not realize that the thing we're putting our hope in will actually lead us to destruction. Now, um, again, I'm not making comments about gun control. I'm just trying to draw attention to this logic. I think we need to recognize where in our life we're putting hope in something other than Jesus, and ultimately that thing will destroy us. Okay? Um, so I want to give you another example. I've been listening to this podcast called Dr. Death, and um, I don't know if I'd recommend it or not. I think it's extremely interesting. Um, there's this guy, so in about 2012, there was this guy in um, Houston area uh, named Dr. Dunch. Uh, and he, he would d- operate on people's spines. He'd do craniotomies. I think that's the procedure. And, and what happened is his patients were being paralyzed and dying. These people who had just awful problems learned of this renowned doctor, Dr. Dunch, so they would go to him for an operation that they thought would give them hope and healing and, and bring the good life for them. But this was an imposter. This guy was, I mean, he went to medical school, but this guy was an imposter. He was not trained in those procedures, and it wasn't until another surgeon who was trained in them and evaluated it and raised the, the alarm that eventually this guy, you know, was is now no longer a doctor. He's no longer operating. But you see what I'm saying. There were people who looked at a doctor for hope, for relief from their problems, but he was an imposter solution. And we need to identify the imposter solutions in our lives that pretend to do what only Jesus can do and realize that they bring death. They're the Dr. Dunches that offer hope, but only bring death. What's the true answer? Well, Paul gives us the true answer in Ephesians. Jesus is the only hope that we have. And Jesus um, doesn't just save us, so now we're our solution. He puts us in the body of Christ, the church. So there's this initial hope that we find in Christ that is expressed in an ongoing way in Christ's body, the church. And so when we think about the good life, we need to look at what God's picture of the good life is and find that the way that we go through this life needs to be connected to Jesus and his people as, as we try to inhabit that world that God has created for us in him. Now, we are um, tempted to offer ourselves up as a solution, aren't we? We're tempted to say, my hope will be um, accomplished if I just work hard enough at it. And in fact, in this Dr. Death's podcast, as they interviewed people who knew Dr. Dunch in his younger years, they found out that this guy just would get in his head that he could become the professional by just working hard enough at it. So he tried to be a pro football player. Um, he, would, he tried to be a doctor. He tried to do all sorts of things, believing and not realizing that he couldn't be the answer. It, it couldn't just be that he just worked hard enough at something and then he attained the skill. 
And, and we need to see that. We can't just work hard enough at something, and then we can do what only Jesus can do. So I want to give you one last illustration of this thing to, to help guide our thinking on how we can convince ourselves that we can do what only God can do. Um, I'm reading this book called Paradise Lost by John Milton. And in the opening scenes, um, you know, he's picturing Satan cast out of heaven. And, and Paradise Lost does not reflect the biblical teaching, okay? So don't look at that as like a good commentary on the Bible. But he's picturing Satan being cast out from heaven into hell. And Satan's in hell with his partner Beelzebub, this lord of the flies. And they're talking, they're upset that they lost the war in heaven and they escape from hell onto planet Earth, and they think they've done this on their own, but really uh, the narrator tells us there's a chain that's still connecting them to hell. Only God let them out of hell onto Earth, and Satan says something like, you know, if I can't rule in heaven, I'm going to rule on Earth, you know, and if God is going to work to bring good out of everything evil, I'm going to work to bring evil out of everything good. God's going to be my enemy. I'm going to be God instead of him, and uh, Satan says this, The mind is its own place. It can in itself make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. And I think that's what we try to do. We try to make a heaven of the hell that is inherent in us, in our wickedness, in our sinfulness. And we're satisfied with that. We're satisfied with being the God of our own domain and trying to set up our own edition of heaven when it's actually hell that we're experiencing. And and that's the greatest good that can come out of it. It's just a fantasy. Well, Jesus gives us a better way in God's redemptive plan where Jesus draws us into himself. He remakes us and and he promises to come again in the fullness of his kingdom so he can be the only solution. We can't create a heaven that's good enough. It will always be a hell. We can only look to Jesus to, to bring us into the true heavenly presence of God. All right, with these ideas in mind, I want to turn your attention now to one last thing to guide us as we go. Okay, I'm giving you a lot of things to think about so that you can hear this letter in a variety of ways. And uh, that's the structure of the book. So if we can't be the solution to our problem, and we know Jesus is the only solution to our problem, we need to look at the story of our lives and then fit that within God's redemptive story. Paul does this by structuring Ephesians to track with the story of Israel's redemption. Okay, um, we'll see if this goes through or not. I, I don't know if this is going to click forward onto the slide that I need or not, but um, uh, maybe, Kevin, do you mind clicking that? I, I should have tried this ahead of time. Um, but when, when Paul structures this, he's trying to say, Jesus is providing a new and better redemptive story, and you need to make that the story of your life. So God has redeemed you from sin. That's your problem, and, and you, need, you need a solution. That will come in God's redemptive plan, he creates a new humanity, the church, and as he establishes the church as the temple of God where God will dwell with you, and then he gives you a way to live, which is living righteously, living like Jesus, measuring up to his stature, that's the language of Ephesians, and then we're given this warfare and conquest orientation, not one where we go to try to defeat other people, but where we stand firm, taking on the armor of God, putting on Christ and navigating this broken world until the final day, knowing that Christ will bring his kingdom in its fullness. Okay, so this is the story that we're given. So we see Israel failing to do this over and over. So when Israel is offered redemption, where do they look for redemption? They, they might sing, you know, whatever, the 15 lines of uh, that final song that we sang, all we need is 
uh, the Lord, but then they, they have imposters that they look to. They look to Egypt. They look to armor and horsemen. They look to the plunder of the cities. They look towards wealth and happiness and peace in every place other than God. And Paul wants us to realize we do that too. We're living the same story, but the difference is we've been given the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to turn back to Egypt. We don't have to turn back to sin. All right, I'm going to leave that up there so you can see it as I read through. We'll just keep this one slide up there. As I read the book of Ephesians, as we track in these ways, seeing the supremacy of Christ is the only answer for our problems. All right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. It's for this reason that I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, this was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who
who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to men. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous 
and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, put away lying. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God, as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up your anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude, as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. 
I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's say that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we receive this word with thanksgiving. We are blessed and privileged beyond measure to have this word from you. We are grateful for the many weeks we've been able to study this word. And as we turn to study other texts of scripture in the coming weeks, we pray that you would keep this word near to us. That, that what we have considered and learned in Ephesians would not depart we would not stray from it, but instead that we would meditate on it and a river that feeds the trees of faith in our life, that, that there would be fruit that flourishes in its season because we meditate on this word. We know that it does not return empty, but that when you speak through your word, beautiful and marvelous things happen. When you speak, new life comes forward. So we pray that you would work new life in us because of your word and what we've heard this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen.